So to begin our reflection on Odetta music and protest, I want to begin by showing you a few slides. Odetta was known as the voice of the civil rights movement. You can see here on the left a photo of her performing in 1965 and on the right later in her life President Bill Clinton presenting Odetta with the National Medal of Arts and Humanities in 1999. When Rosa Parks was asked what music inspired you the most, she said essentially all the songs that Odetta sings. Likewise, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called Odetta the queen of American folk music. If this sermon leaves you curious to learn more, I recommend the book Odetta, A Life in Music and Protest is by Ian Zach. Uh, a, it's a biography published last year by our own Beacon Press, which is owned by the Unitarian Universalist Association. I'm regularly so proud of the, the books that Beacon Press publishes. I encourage you to go to their website periodically. They're just uh, regularly putting out great stuff. To tell you a little more about Odetta, she was born in 1930. As a child, she was drawn to opera music. When the Metropolitan Opera would come on the local AM radio station, Odetta, her mother, her brother would stop whatever they were doing and listen. In her words, I was into classical music and I had swallowed this whole pill that society had given us, that if it was classical, if it was from Europe, then it was legitimate. Now, Odetta, of course, not only enjoyed opera, it turned out she could sing. And when she was 11 years old, her mother signed her up for piano lessons. She was so evidently musical. And one day while waiting for her piano teacher to arrive, she was playing scales and, and vocalizing aloud with each note. As Odetta tells the story, the teacher happened to walk up when I was hitting something like a C above high C. And she said it was really just a screech, but my teacher was very impressed. So at age 13, Odetta started taking singing lessons as well. So let me show you a few more uh, slides to give some visual aids to what we're talking about. In college, Odetta studied European classical music, and there was buzz that Odetta had the potential to be the next Marian Anderson, who you can see pictured there. Anderson in 1955 had become the first African-American to perform at the Metropolitan Opera. In response, Odetta would confess, well, I adored Marian Anderson, and I still do, but I knew that I didn't want to be anybody else. I didn't want to be another anything. Moreover, Odetta came to experience classical music as a nice exercise, but came to realize it just had nothing to do with my life, she said, as a Black woman living in a segregated society. She began instead to fall in love with folk music. In her words, there was no way I could say the things I was thinking, but I could sing them. And one night in 1951, she heard recordings of the African-American folk and blues singer known as Leadbelly. He had died a few years earlier in 1949. Odetta was deeply moved by Leadbelly's music and inspired to learn how to play the guitar. And as she learned more about the history behind those field songs and prison songs and work songs and spirituals that were increasingly resonating with her the way that classical music had in her childhood, she began to fall in love with Black history and Black culture. 
1952, that led Odetta to make the unusual choice at the time to wear her hair short and natural. Her haircut may look pretty uh, typical today, but it was very unusual in the middle of the 20th century. In her words, folk music, literally the music of the folk, of the common people. She said, it straightened my back. It gave her the, the courage to begin speaking out with uh, increasingly about politics. And she said, it also kinked my hair. As Odetta began to navigate this transition from classically trained opera singer to world famous folk musician, let me tell you one of my favorite stories about how her voice could just command attention. Remember that at this point, it's 1952, it's more than a year before her first album would be released, so few people had heard her sing. She was living in Los Angeles, California, where she'd grown up since age six. And one evening, along with a number of other musicians, including Pete Singer and Woody Guthrie, she'd been invited to a party at a home in L.A. in Topanga Canyon. Uh, various musicians were taking turns singing. You know, Detta was really pretty shy and uh, at this point and for quite a while in her career. But when she was finally persuaded to take a turn singing, it was one of those moments when a hush falls over the crowd, movement stops, and everybody turns to focus their attention on the special and surprising event that is unfolding. In Pete Seeger's words, her singing was power, power, intensity, and power. The song she chose that night was Lead Belly's Take This Hammer, a prison, logging, and railroad work song. I'll play the just the opening 30 seconds or so to give you a taste of what stopped the crowd in their tracks that night. So from even that brief clip, I think you can get a taste of how that people just whipped to attention when she started singing. And you can probably better appreciate, again, even from listening to less than a minute of her singing, why one music critic at the time titled a review of her, Odetta was born with a voice like a weapon. It, this review, just to read a few sentences from it, said, Odetta can harden her voice like a blunt cudgel, deadly with hatred. She can rumble it like a distant thunder, freighted with vengeance. She can slur with sobs, thirst from a heartbroken soul. She can breathe it out, light as thistledown, or turn it out perfectly formed, every word etched and delineated. But even with her massive talent that she had honed through years of study and work, Odetta faced significant hurdles to grow her career in a racist society. And let me draw just a brief connection here to this 11-week study that uh, our intern minister, Jen, and I are co-leading on widening the circle of concern. That class is about the institutional changes that are needed to shift away from being a predominantly white monoculture toward being a multicultural beloved community. And here's an example of white supremacy culture from early in Odetta's career. In 1957, five years after that fateful party in Topanga Canyon, Odetta received a, her first invitation to sing as, on national TV as a guest musician on NBC's Today Show. The good news is they did give this up-and-coming Black woman a chance and a spotlight. The bad news is that the network was so worried that basically all of her repertoire, her beloved songs, were all too political. So as a compromise, she ended up singing The Fox, a cute but innocuous traditional folk song um, from, the Eng from England. 
Notice that the powers that be were okay with Odetta singing music from a majority white European colonial power, but not music rooted in the struggles of historically oppressed groups. Two years later, a welcome exception to that rule uh, came when CBS and Revlon, the cosmetic company, agreed to give the African-American singer, activist, and actor Harry Belafonte complete creative control to produce a primetime variety TV show special. He chose to include Odetta. He gave her permission this time to sing whatever she wanted. And in a final twist, directly in the face of the sponsor, the cosmetic company Revlon, Belafonte said, and there will be no need to make up Odetta. Belafonte knew and respected Odetta's commitment to a natural appearance. In his word, it was about her showing that my blackness unadorned is itself its own adorning. That evening, she opened with the song Water Boy, which comes out of, out of the tradition of songs sung by enslaved people working on cotton plantations. I'll play just the first minute of that song to give you a taste of its power. As you listen, notice Odetta's percussive vocals, this, the way she used her voice in these really unusual ways. The sharp, guttural sound mimicking the sound of a hammer striking rock that's heard in field recordings of prison work songs as they're being, these same songs are being sung by uh, imprisoned people. Notice also in the words of one music critic, the way that Odetta drags this sound behind the beat by just a split second so that we, the listener, are made to feel the immense effort and burden of the work. This for the Odetta was the very point, not the song as song, but as a record of collective pain, sorrow, rage, indomitability, defiance, and resilience. It's why she was drawn to folk music, the, the music of the common people. Uh, many people tuning into that path-breaking TV special in 1959 had never heard anything like it. So returning to our slides that um, there's so much more I'd like to say about her life and legacy. So I'll have to limit myself to giving you just a few more highlights. Here's one that any of you who are big Bob Dylan fans may know. In 1960, when Dylan was a senior at the University of Minnesota, listening to Odetta's album, Ballad and Blues, changed Dylan's life and the arc of his career. Dylan said, the first thing that turned me on to folk singing was Odetta. I heard a record of her back when you could listen to records right there in the record store. Right then and there, I went out and traded my electric guitar and amplifier for an acoustical guitar. So later, Dylan famously turned back to the electrical guitar, but this is what originally made him hung up the electric guitar and pick up an acoustical. Dylan said, I learned every song off this Odetta record. Odetta was a significant influence on Dylan's early career. And although there's a lot more I would like to say about that in the intervening years, let me fast forward now a decade to 1970, the year Odetta turned 40. You may remember that earlier in her career, she'd been quite shy and she was most known for her striking arrangements of traditional folk tunes. But as she approached and entered the fourth decade of her life, something changed in a good way. In the words of her biographer, the crowds at her concerts noticed it. The reviewers noticed it. Her friends noticed it. Maybe it was age. Maybe it was experience or the demise of a bad marriage. But the woman who had devoted so much to the cause of freedom 
was herself becoming freer on stage, more comfortable in her own skin. This shift is powerfully embodied in Odetta's song, Hit or Miss, which was released the same year that she turned 40. As you hear these opening lyrics, remember what she said about loving the Black opera star Marian Anderson, but not wanting to be the next or another anything. She just wanted to be Odetta. And in this critically acclaimed song, she says, can't you see? I gotta be me. Ain't nobody just like this. I gotta be me, baby. Hit or miss. So I invite us just to listen to about 30 seconds of this song, but I, I hope that you'll uh, that hearing this sermon and this service will encourage you to explore uh, more of all of these songs and about Odetta for yourself. All right, so back to our slides. I hope you're at least getting a taste for how, uh, how powerful her music was, how much she meant to so many and still does. The track that we just heard is my favorite by her, but she was best known in her final years for singing This Little Light of Mine. Uh, the Freedom Trilogy that we heard earlier is probably what she was best known for earlier in her career during the heart of the 60s and the 70s. But in her final decades, it was This Little Light of Mine. And most importantly, for more than a decade, from 1983 to 1995, she sang that song at the annual New Year's Eve candlelight peace vigil at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. If you've never been there, next time any of us can go anywhere, <laughs> you can go to New York, just stop in the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. It's a truly remarkable sacred space. It's a gigantic Gothic revival style sanctuary. It's the world's sixth largest church by area. This photo does not capture how incredible this, this space is in New York City. And when Odetta sang This Little Light of Mine a cappella on New Year's Eve from the pulpit, with 10,000 people in that sanctuary holding lit candles joining in, their voices soaring up to that church's immense vaulted ceiling. It was transformative. I'll let you hear just a piece of that song. And Odetta truly did let her life shine throughout her life. And in so doing, she tried to encourage everyone, especially historically oppressed groups, to let their light shine as well. Let me show you an image uh, as we move to our final slides um, of her final album. So her final album was an allusion to that beloved song, um, This Little Light of Mine. So in, in 2007, at age 76, this is the cover of her final album, Gonna Let It Shine, and that's her on the cover. The next year at age 77, she was hospitalized in early November due to kidney failure. Only four days earlier, she had been able to witness Barack Obama elected as the first black president. Her dream at that time was to live long enough to sing at President Obama's inauguration. And uh, she had such a will to live. One of her friends actually put taped a three foot tall poster of President Obama on the wall of her hospital room. And although she died in early December before that dream could become a reality, she was joyful until the end, telling friends that Obama's election was a glorious culmination of what she had been working for her entire life. And as I move toward my conclusion, let me say just a few words about her legacy. In 2011, Time Magazine published a list of the top 100 
most extraordinary English language pop recordings since 1923 when time was founded. That list included Odetta's version of Take This Hammer, the first song we heard earlier. More recently, some of you may recall that Ava, Ava DuVernay's powerful film, Selma. If you go back and watch, or you may have noticed this already, the soundtrack as the peaceful marchers are being assaulted for trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Ava DuVernay chose Odetta, singing her version of Bob Dylan's Master of War. And although I very much encourage you to listen to Odetta herself, I should also add uh, that perhaps the most direct heir to Odetta alive today is the inimitable Rhiannon Giddens. If you haven't listened to her, please do. Uh, she channeled Odetta in a powerful way in particular in many examples, but um, in Giddens' um, de solo debut, uh, the version of Waterboy is incredible. For now, I'll close with an excerpt from the Time Magazine obituary of Odetta. Odetta's stage presence was regal. Planted on the stage like an oak tree, no one would dare cut down. Wearing the guitar high on her chest, she could envelop Carnegie Hall with her powerful contra-alto as other vocalists might fill a phone booth. She used that amazing instrument to bear witness to the pain and the perseverance of her ancestors. Some folks sing songs, Odetta testified. For a handful of Black singers, their dis discography is an oral history, centuries deep, of abduction, enslavement, social and sexual abuse by whites in power, and the determination first to outlive the ignominy branded on the race and then to overcome it. Her commanding presence, charismatic delivery, and her determination saying Black truth to white power. So as we continue to hold in our hearts Odetta's life and legacy, how it challenges us both individually and collectively to carry on that work of racial justice today and into the future, let us listen to the second and third parts of her Freedom Trilogy, which she sang on stage in 1964 at the March on Washington. 